Hello, and welcome to the reading of the Des Moines Register for Thursday, March 19th, 2020. I'm your reader, Kevin Cooney. Things are changing very quickly, and Iris wants to make sure that we provide our listeners with as much information as we can. And in order to do that, we've changed our program schedule completely. This schedule will air statewide on all platforms until further notice. We also include information about resources in your community during each paper. You'll still hear your Des Moines Register every day from 9 at, at 9 a.m., and at 6 p.m. and at 1 a.m. Now, please listen closely to the following changes for all other newspapers. The Fort Dodge Messenger will be read at 7 a.m. Monday through Friday. The Mason City Globe Gazette will be read at 8 a.m. Monday through Friday. Your Des Moines Register will continue to be read from 9 a.m. until noon. The Cedar Rapids Gazette will be read at noon, seven days a week. The Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier will be read at 1 p.m. seven days a week. The Dubuque Telegraph Herald will be read at 2 p.m. Monday through Friday. The Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil will be read at 3 p.m. Monday through Friday. The Sioux City Journal will be read at 4 p.m. seven days a week. The Ames Tribune will be read at 5 p.m. Monday through Friday. And the Midweek Shopping Cart will be read each Wednesday at 9 p.m. Recordings of all newspapers will be available on our podcast. Just go to iowaradioreading.org, click Listen Now, then click Listen to Iris Podcasts. The papers are organized by region. Each paper will be available for seven days. As things continue to change, we will announce schedule changes each hour at 56 minutes past the hour going forward. Keep yourself safe. Thank you for listening. Now, first off, here's, as always, a look at today's weather. We are going to have a busy weather day. Scattered storms will move in this morning, and then stronger storms by the afternoon and evening. Some of the storms could be severe, Ed Wilson's forecast says, stay weather aware. The high today in Des Moines should be 66 degrees with a low of 22. A severe thunderstorm, cloudy fog, breezy and cloudy with a thunderstorm uh, and breezy conditions tonight. Again, the high today expected to be 66, the low 22. On Friday, a high of 34 and a low of 20 with mostly cloudy skies. Yesterday, the high was 49 degrees and the low was 41. And for 24 hours, the precipitation ending at 5 o'clock on Wednesday in the Des Moines area was 1.61 inches. And a brief summary of the forecasts elsewhere in the state. Cedar Rapids expects a high of 59 and a low of 27. Council Bluffs, 64, a low of 17. Davenport, a high of 64 and a low of 30. Fort Dodge, forecast a high of 52 and a low of 15. Iowa City, a forecast a high of 64 and a low of 31. Now, uh, we're going to take a look at the first story from the front page of today's Des Moines Register. The lead story, Testing Protocols Raise Concerns. 
State Lab says cases must meet criteria. It's written by Barbara Rodriguez and Jason Clayworth. Dennis Smith's 66-year-old wife released recently from nursing care overweight and suffering from a lung infection, was told Tuesday that she did not need a coronavirus test. Stacy Snyder's son, a 23-year-old public school teacher in Mount Pleasant, who was hospitalized last week for pneumonia, was also denied a test. And Dr. Gary Graner's neighbor, who had coffee with an Iowa City traveler to Egypt, who was shortly thereafter diagnosed with COVID, has gone untested, despite requesting it for more than a week. They are among the Iowans frustrated with testing criteria that they fear may be jeopardizing human life in the midst of a pandemic. Meanwhile, the state's public health department is releasing less information about test results than officials in some other states. The Iowa Department of Public Health, the main agency that is tasked with overseeing the state's response to the coronavirus, did not immediately respond to a request for comment Wednesday regarding complaints about the lack of testing. In recent days, the department has provided general information about Iowa testing capabilities. On Wednesday, Governor Kim Reynolds released a short video underscoring the message that not everyone needs to be tested. Dr. Caitlin Padati, the uh, Public Health Department's state medical director and epidemiologist, sat with the governor to answer questions about testing during the video. Padati said that most people who get the virus will have mild symptoms and should just stay home. When people have more severe symptoms and need to be hospitalized, they should be tested so doctors know how to treat the illness and what kind of protective equipment to use. They emphasize the tests and protective equipment are in limited supply. Dennis Smith tried to follow the rules to get his wife Molly tested. Molly Smith's friends and family phoned 211, a community information referral service. An operator told the Des Moines family that she did not need to be tested because she did not have a fever, Dennis Smith said Tuesday. It's hard for me to believe that a person with my wife's profile of severe physical disabilities, a person discharged from skilled nursing, is told that she doesn't need a test he said. She has all of these red flags with her condition, but apparently the state has so few resources to test people that unless you meet the very last criterion for every last criterion for coronavirus, they aren't apparently going to test you. Iowa public health officials have gradually shifted their approach to coronavirus, excuse me, coronavirus testing. At first, the state hygienic laboratory at the University of Iowa was the sole facility testing Iowans for the virus starting on February 27th when it received the testing materials. The state-based testing meant that Iowa Department of Public Health shared how many people had been tested and the results of both positive and negative tests on the website. In the days after Reynolds announced the first case of coronavirus in the state, public health officials said the laboratory had materials to test 500 people. On March 12th, a spokeswoman for the laboratory said supplies had dwindled and there remained only enough materials to test about 150 people. That same day, the public health department confirmed that several private out-of-state companies were now collecting specimens from Iowa health care providers for testing. The expansion of testing from national companies means delays before Iowans can learn some 
coronavirus test results. The Iowa State Hygienic Laboratory released results within about 24 hours after testing. With private companies, though, equip, uh, specimens rather, must be sent out of state for confirmation, and that process could take several days. Pedati, the public health department's state medical director, said March 13th that testing capacity had increased again, and the new estimate was that the state had testing materials for about 850 people. Across the nation, despite federal officials saying the test is available to all, a lack of testing materials and differing procedures have been reported. President Donald Trump said Tuesday that the federal government was working to expand testing. Reynolds on Monday announced the addition of a second shift to the hygienic lab to expand testing capabilities from 54 to 108 tests per day. The state is prepared to add a third shift to run tests around the clock, she said. The state lab will perform coronavirus testing only when certain criteria are met under guidelines that remained in place this week. Those criteria mostly apply to hospitalized patients with a fever or respiratory failure and people who have traveled to countries with travel health warnings. Hospitals do not need approval from the Iowa Department of Public Health to administer a test, but the hygienic lab will not run the tests unless they meet the criteria, said Amy McCoy, a spokeswoman for the department. Reynolds said Monday that she is exploring drive-through testing, which is being set up in other states. Some health care systems in the state have begun offering mobile services aimed at quickly checking patients for COVID-19, but these services may be limited to certain patients. That's a priority of mine, Reynolds said, about drive-through testing. We're working on it. Jennifer Killian, an Ames doctor, is concerned that testing criteria used in Iowa are too narrow to properly detect the spread of coronavirus in the community. Proper detection will help identify those who are infected and prevent spread to vulnerable populations, she said. Now, doctors in Iowa can order private tests on patients who are ill, but that takes additional steps and results take about five days, she noted. Testing is also constrained by limited supplies and personal protective equipment, Killian said. If we mostly only test hospitalized patients, my concern is that point is that point because they usually need hospitalization a week into it, and since only 10 to 20 percent need hospitalization, you could be looking at 100 cases in a community by the time you diagnose that one patient in the hospital, Killian said. Iowa's criteria for coronavirus testing and information it's the and the information its state health officials publicly report about the tests are far narrower than in other states reviewed by the Des Moines Register. In California, the state provides information on about two dozen laboratories that are testing for the disease in a process the state says has made 24 million applicants eligible for testing. And in Florida, Health officials are recommending tests for virtually anyone who is experiencing symptoms or in an area where there is a confirmed community spread. Florida, unlike Iowa, is also publicly reporting more specific demographics about the tests, including the total number of people tested, whether they are residents of the state, 
age ranges, whether they are tested by a state or private laboratory. The state also lists whether those infected have traveled, have come in contact with a confirmed case, or are still under investigation on those criteria. National labs have begun running tests for Iowa, are to report all positive test results to the state, Reynolds said. However, state officials no longer have a count of pending tests or negative tests. We will continue to report our positive cases and the county of residence, but will no longer be able to provide information regarding any known risk factors or contact information related to the positive cases, Reynolds said. On Tuesday, the state released information that six more people had tested positive for the virus, and on Wednesday announced nine additional positive tests for a total of 38 in Iowa. Both were single-day highs. The state's news releases did not specify the individual's ages or gender. They did not say whether the individuals had traveled to high-risk countries or had been in contact with other people identified as infected with the coronavirus, or whether their cases were considered instances of community transmission, the term used when no easily identifiable point of origin has been determined. But others in Iowa are filling in some gaps. Don Morrison, in an Iowa City-based DJ who performed at about 10 events in Iowa City and Cedar Rapids since February 28th, tested positive for COVID-19 on Sunday, according to a statement from Star Entertainment, the company he runs. The company said he was self-quarantined at home on Tuesday after being treated at University of Iowa Hospital and Clinics over the weekend. A local official in Pottawatomie County, where one of the first cases of coronavirus was identified, shared that a Panera Bread was being cleaned to ensure that patrons who may have come in contact with an infected individual were not impacted. The Urbandale Community School District announced on Monday that one of its employees had tested positive. The diagnosed individual works at Karen Acres Elementary, the school district said, but it withheld other identification out of concern for the person's confidentiality, according to the announcement. Snyder, the mother of the Mount Pleasant teacher, said that her son tested negative for flu but remained ill last week. Doctors declined to administer the coronavirus test since he had not traveled out of the country or had been in known contact with another person who tested positive for the virus, she said. Snyder said she attempted to bypass the criteria used by the state hygienic laboratory by contacting state legislators and the governor's office, but to no avail. Her son improved this week and was released from the hospital. On Sunday, Snyder no longer believes that he has uh, uh, was released on Sunday. Snyder no longer believes that he has coronavirus, but said that the situation underscores a serious public health crisis in needing to better identify cases and isolate people who are sick with the virus. Information is power, and we don't have the right pieces of information to make sense of that, Snyder said. I think that would calm a lot of people's fears and uncertainties if we had proper testing. Now, just to know you don't have it changes how you can prepare 
for the rest of your days in the quarantine time. Benjamin Gabriel, an Iowa City resident, had been seeking a coronavirus test for more than a week after an illness that included a persistent cough, occasional fever, and nausea. After several online chats with healthcare workers over several days, he was sent to an ER on Monday with chest pain, where he was finally tested. The next day, he learned his results were negative for the virus. He was back home and sat on the floor when he heard the news. He began to cry in relief. If it took somebody as sick as me that long to get the test, there's just got to be a lot of sick, scared people out there, he said. Now, here's a sidebar story, the state's lab's testing criteria. The state hygienic lab will only perform coronavirus testing when certain criteria are met. These are hospitalized patients with fever and respiratory failure and no alternate diagnosis. Hospitalized older adults, those older than 60, with fever and respiratory symptoms and chronic medical conditions. Any person with household contact with a laboratory-confirmed case of COVID-19 in the 14 days before becoming ill with fever or respiratory symptoms, and any person with a history of international travel to a country with a Level 3 CDC travel health warning, or who has taken an international cruise in the 14 days prior to becoming ill with the fever and respiratory symptoms and no alternate diagnosis. Those were the state labs testing criteria. Another story on the coronavirus uh, situation. Outbreak pushes food providers, homeless shelters, to their limits. This is by Austin Cannon, Shelby Flig, and Robin Opsall of the Des Moines Register. Food Bank of Iowa President and CEO Michelle Book described a dire reality of food insecurity as Iowa schools remain closed and workers begin to lose hourly wages due to the spread of the novel coronavirus. Things have really taken hold for us, she told the Des Moines Register. Folks in Iowa are not seeing a lot of the virus yet, and we're not seeing a lot of our friends infected yet, but the impact is significant with schools shutting down and public services changing. The food bank is facing the same problems as other nonprofits that serve marginalized communities as the virus shuts down everyday life. They're needing they're needed more than ever, but volunteer shortages and uh, social distancing measures are restricting their ability to help. Quote, we're figuring out just how do we provide not only what we usually do but even more, while at the same time, how do we limit mass gatherings? How do we do everything that we do with as little contact as we can? Said Luke Elzinga, a communications manager with the Des Moines Area Religious Council. For DMARC, part of the solution is canceling volunteer groups and having employees work from home. The pantries it serves have stopped letting clients come in and pick out their own groceries, instead providing a grab-and-go bag of essentials to families who, uh, to ideally to minimize the spread of disease through touch and mass gatherings. Central Iowa Shelter and Services in Des Moines has also uh, begun handing out packages, prepackaged meals, CEO Melissa O'Neill said the shelter has relocated five employees with weakened immune systems away from its clients. 
Because of state and local measures banning mass gatherings, Hope Ministries has had to close its Hope Cafe. There it serves three meals daily for free. Kathy Cody, Hope's Director of Development and Community Relations, said an average of 50 to 100 people will eat lunch or dinner there. That's a big change for us, she said. Like DMARC and the Food Bank, Cody also reported the limited use of volunteers. Hope Ministries has only brought in experienced volunteers who feel well, but some of them have opted to stay home. On a normal Friday, the Food Bank of Iowa provides more than 5,000 take-home meals to 142 elementary schools in a 55-county area and supplies 101 school pantries in 40 counties. In 2019, that totaled 1.5 million meals to Iowa kids, Book said. With schools closed and daycares threatening to close, the impact is real. She said these kids are getting two, maybe three meals a day at school that they are not getting now. Starting Monday, food bank staff, volunteers, and school districts are packing 20-pound emergency bags with boxes, and boxes rather, with shelf-stable foods and won't stop for several more weeks, but even that, quote, certainly won't cover all the need, unquote, said Book. Like families with children who rely on school meals, low-wage earners, losing money as restaurants, bars, and other service industry staples cut employees' hours or close altogether, those lost wages are food off their table, Book said. All of those people have reduced wages and their ability to purchase food for their families is compromised, she said. To overcome the unfolding and still unknown challenges ahead, Book said she requested Governor Kim Reynolds consider National Guard assistance to help deliver food to Iowa's elderly and low-income people who have COVID-19 or are in self-quarantine. Book spoke with the governor's office on Monday afternoon, she said and was told National Guard troops are deployed on essential tasks and not readily available. Reynolds' office encouraged the Food Bank of Iowa to partner with the area agencies on aging and AmeriCorps, she said. DMARC is also providing with other is also rather working with other groups to help provide lunches and food distribution to families of students in the Des Moines public school system, which has canceled classes until at least April 13th. Des Moines Public Schools decided to jumpstart its summer food program during the coronavirus closure. On Wednesday, both DMARC and the Food Bank of Iowa were distributing food at district schools. Both Hope Ministries and Central Iowa Shelter Services have both stepped up their cleaning procedures at their shelters. O'Neill said CISS staff no longer are patting down clients when they enter the downtown shelter Instead, they are using a metal-detecting wand. At Bethel Mission, Hope Ministries Men's Shelter, staff have designated a space for anyone feeling sick. It's a dormitory-style shelter, so the men's beds are mostly in one large room. As of Tuesday, no one has been sequestered in that sick area. It's difficult, and we do have some limitations because of space availability to us, Cody said. At Hope Women's Shelter, it's easier to isolate clients because many of them have their own rooms, she said. Luckily, there are people going out of their way to help. Last weekend... 
pages and pages of donations started to come into the food bank books, yet those extra donations will be vital given the food bank didn't have the global pandemic represented in their budgets. Uh, We are making food orders in hopes that the money will be here when it arrives, she said, noting that there is a monetary reserve uh, should a bad situation turn worse. The most effective way to contribute to the food bank is with money, not with food items. Book said she could order three cans of green beans for the same price an average consumer would pay for one can at a grocery store. Hope Ministries' Cody echoed Book, saying monetary donations are more important than ever. She worried about the virus forcing an economic downturn. If that puts more people out of work or forces them out of their housing, they'll need something like Hope Ministries, which will need extra money to support new clients. It's a good time for neighbors to help neighbors in any way that we can, she said. Volunteer time is also needed, Book and Elzinger said. With heightened demand, the nonprofits need more hands to help assemble emergency boxes. But people who feel fell ill or are in high-risk groups should stay home, Book said. Many regular volunteers at the food bank's more than 600 agency partners, including schools, pantries, and homeless shelters, are elderly. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says elderly people and those with underlying health issues could, uh, rather should, drastically limit their social interactions to avoid risk of being exposed to COVID-19. Many are closing down because their volunteers are elderly, BookSip. Right when our needs are greatest, they are having to shut down. Last week, half of the food bank's scheduled volunteers canceled their shifts, she said. Elzinger said if uh, people want to help, it's worth calling local food shelters to see if they need volunteers. Right now, it's just a matter of what will do the most good for the people in need with the least risk of illness, he said. How to donate. Food Bank of Iowa. Give.foodbankiowa.org slash GE slash COVID-19. Des Moines Area Religious Council, dmarcunited.org slash donate slash donate online. Hope Ministries, hopeiowa.org slash donate now. And Central Iowa Shelter and Services, centraliowashelter.org slash how dash to dash help slash donate dot html and here's another story from the front page of the des moines register iowa hospital braces for virus university of iowa staffing staff limiting elective care preserving supplies it's by barbara rodriguez of the des moines register The head of the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics had a message for his staff, and it would have ramifications. In an email sent out Monday, Shuresh Gunasekaran, the CEO of UIHC, University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics, said he was postponing elective and non-urgent surgeries because of the coronavirus 
critical and emergency surgeries would take priority. We anticipated and prepared for this phase of community spread of COVID-19, he wrote, a reference to the respiratory disease that's caused by a novel coronavirus spreading around the globe. Giving this and other external factors, we must move forward on activating the clinical contingency plans as we face potential challenges with staffing and in conservation efforts of our medical supplies. Guna Sikaran had sent several emails like this over several days. The top official just isn't limiting elective care at Iowa's largest hospital. He's seeking to preserve supplies. He's asking if some hospital jobs can be adjusted, and he's trying to figure out if his team can create their own in-house coronavirus testing, which is in short supply around the United States. The planning that's happening at the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics offers a snapshot of the potential challenges for other Iowa hospitals in the weeks to come as they ready their facilities for a potential onslaught of coronavirus patients. On Wednesday, public health officials announced nine additional coronavirus cases in Iowa. That is the largest single-day jump. There are now 38 statewide. At least two of the Iowans have been hospitalized at the University of Iowa hospitals and clinics. Multiple internal emails sent to UIHC faculty and staff obtained by the Des Moines Register and confirmed by Gunasikaran show that these in these early days, the Iowa City Hospital is preparing for anything. It signifies that we're getting ready, Gunasikaran told the Register about the emails, that we are trying to respond These are the moments that you need to get focused. And UIHC is not alone. Several hospital systems and healthcare facilities in the area, Mercy Medical Center, Mercy Physicians, Unity Point Health, St. Luke's Hospital, Surgery Center, Cedar Rapids, and Physicians Clinic of Iowa, among them, plan to postpone what are known as non-life-threatening, non-urgent surgeries and procedures, they said in a joint statement on Tuesday. One plea was tucked into a lengthy email from Gunasikaran. We need your help again, he wrote Saturday to faculty and staff. Gunasikaran asked the hospital employees if they would accept additional work duties or reassignments to respond to the coronavirus. Responsibilities could involve screening patients and visitors at hospital entrances for symptoms of flu or COVID-19. Workers could also be sent to an influenza-like illness clinic. Prior screening experience is not necessary and training will be provided, the email said. Gunasikaran told the register that the hospital is providing more health care services by phone and through video that's aimed at keeping people with mild symptoms away from the hospital. Employees and visitors are also going through extra screening when they come into the facilities. That has required new tasks for employees. We're trying to muster as much workforce as we can to help us accomplish these new goals, he said. Gunasakaran was also uh, seeking to tap his staff 
to help increase coronavirus testing in Iowa. In an email sent to staff on Saturday, he said the hospital system was developing its own options at a microbiology laboratory. He estimated it would be available within the next one to two weeks. We're hopeful, he said, about testing preparation, which would be typically taking place uh, taking more time, rather, to develop. We got a really qualified team, he said. Another missive came Sunday morning, and it was short. The University of Iowa hospitals and clinics would be cutting back on the use of employee hospital gowns when treating patients who don't have respiratory disease. Quote, effective immediately, gowns will no longer be worn by faculty and staff treating patients in contact precautions for conditions other than confirmed or suspected COVID-19, read the email from Gunasakaran. He said hospital employees will still use gowns while treating children under two years old who have viral respiratory illness. By Sunday night, the state would report a total of 22 people testing positive for the virus, and that was spreading through the community. And Gunasakaran, in an interview with the Register, said he wants his staff to follow federal guidelines on hospital supplies. Quote, essentially what we're doing is stepping up our game internally to conserve, follow guidelines. We're not asking anyone to cut any corners, he said. What we are really saying is don't overuse. We want to manage consumption so there is no wastage. This is a very precious time to be wasting supplies. Doctors at some other large Iowa hospitals have already indicated that they are worried about dwindling supplies. On Wednesday, the Iowa Department of Public Health asked businesses and organizations to donate extra hospital supplies, known as personal protective equipment, or PPE, to help the state's health care providers. The surgical areas use up the most PPE of any place in the hospital, Gunasakaran told the register. So if we're trying to conserve it for a surge that might be coming, you're really risking real harm in terms of the overall organization if these surgical procedures are not essential and they can easily be postponed to just a few more weeks from now. Gunasakaran said the in the interview rather Tuesday, that he feels UIHC, for now, has enough supplies and equipment to respond to the coronavirus. Quote, we have the supplies that we need and we're able to safely manage patients and make sure our staff stays safe. But Gunasakaran's assessment comes with a major caveat. While there has been no disruption in the hospital supplies that are shipped to his facilities, He's not sure he will always, that will always be the case if a lot of hospitals around the country simultaneously seek more supplies. COVID-19 affects people differently. While some of the infected may have minor symptoms, others become severely ill and in some cases die, the more serious illnesses could need more hospitals, could need more hospital resources, including available beds. That's why we are all a little bit worried that if there is an increase in the number of positive patients or there are disruptions in the supplies coming to us regularly on a weekly basis, then we would be in a very difficult situation, he said. As of Wednesday, more than 7,800 coronavirus cases had been reported in the United States, a surge compared to two weeks ago. More than 140 deaths in the country have been attributed to the virus. 
Globally, nearly 215,000 people have been infected, and more than 8,700 have died. More than 8,300 have recovered. Gunasakaran said that his biggest priority will be taking care of his staff. You're concerned about the community spread. You're concerned about any potential exposure you might have. You're concerned about, am I making my family unsafe by working here, he said. And everyone knows that we are trained for this, that we have the right safety procedures in place. But it's just a stressful time to operate a hospital. And so we know we've got to take care of our staff. More stories now from the Register. Family friends mourn victims of fire. Loved ones grieve lost mother and son. It's a story by Tyler Davis of the Des Moines Register. As Roger Page laid in a hospital Saturday watching a movie with his family, he had no idea he would be the last time he would see his wife or hold his son. Page, who was nursing a broken leg, said his wife and children regularly kept him company during his five days at Mercy One Des Moines Medical Center. On Saturday, though, a hospital worker told him his kids had to leave because of the novel coronavirus concerns. They changed that policy, so my nurse and her supervisor came up and said, sorry, your kids can no longer be up here due to the COVID-19 virus, Page 49 said. That was the last time I saw my son, Red. The next day, the Des Moines man tried to call his spouse, Teresa Supa Page, to see what her plan was for that Sunday. Her phone went straight to voicemail. I got kind of worried, Paige said. If you know anything about Supa, that phone is attached to her like one of her kids. Next, Paige tried his daughter's cell phone. This distraught teenager told him that a fire had broken out at their home at 1325 9th Street. After her mother escaped the fire and realized her five-year-old son did not make it outside, she went back for the boy. Roger Page would later learn that Supa Page, 40, and their son, Red Eagle Thundercloud Page, died in the blaze. Des Moines Fire Department has not yet determined a cause for the fire. Those who knew the woman said it was the untimeliest of deaths. Supa Page had just made six years sober and started building a stable life for her children. The boy, affectionately known as Red, was... Has, had just made five years old and brought joy and hugs and a smile wherever he went. She became a better person. She put her faith in God. She was more caring to her children, said Nicole Ellington, a longtime friend of Super Page, who's seen her growth over the years. She was solid. I'm still in shock and wish it was a nasty dream, but it's not. Theresa Super Page never had it easy but you couldn't tell, despite a tough upbringing on a Native American reservation in Nebraska, Page was loyal and trusting, sometimes to a fault. Sipa would have given her the shirt off her back if you needed it, Ellington, 38, said. A stranger, a homeless person on the street, it didn't matter. If you are in need and she had it, you would have it. The two met after a 15-year-old uh, after 15-year-old Ellington ran away from her Tama home in the late 1990s to Sioux City. There she met Supa when her last name was Morris, two years her senior. A proud Native American, Page would talk about customs and traditions that she learned on the reservation, but Ellington soon learned that her friend's childhood was wrought with trauma, alcoholism, 
and abuse. Then she became pregnant after being sexually assaulted at the age of 13, said a Cedar Rapids pastor who knew her for the past six years. Paige was also part of a gang near the reservation she grew up on, which uh, segued into alcohol and cocaine abuse, said the Reverend Bill Bearden. Rather. She gave her testimony about three years ago, Reardon said. Just, man, the stuff that she has overcome, she should have been alive, shouldn't have been alive, rather. Paige kicked her drug habit in 2010. After moves through Sioux City and Des Moines, she graduated from a Cedar Rapids treatment program for alcohol in 2014. There she became involved with Hillside Wesleyan Church and a substance support group. Roger Page saw his marriage to Supa and the birth of Red Eagle as second chances to do right. The two originally married in 1999, got a divorce a decade later before remarrying a couple of years ago. The bond was deep, but so was each person's addiction issue. Roger Page would spend the better part of the next decade in and out of Iowa correctional facilities as the two struggled to raise and keep custody of their children. He said... It was his issues with addiction that led to their split in 2009. Meanwhile, Supa was, her, uh, was determined, rather, to improve her life for her kids. After 2003, she was never charged with another crime in Iowa District Court. When 2014 came around, she was pregnant with her and Roger's last son and starting her life free of alcohol. Roger said the birth of Red Eagle felt like a sign from above, as of March, he is celebrating two years sober. We were definitely in a good place, Paige said. She had a stable home for the kids, food in the house, clean clothes. I've been working. We were just getting on our feet. As family members try to come to terms with loss, they have to organize two funerals without any life insurance. A GoFundMe account, account rather, has been started to help corral donations. Ellington said she is hopeful that Supa's tribe, Ho-Chunk, will provide some money for burial expenses, but it's not a certainty. Ellington said she'll miss seeing the bond Supa Page shared with her children. She'll miss the unexpected FaceTime calls from Red and hearing his patented I love you, TT. He was amazing, a tearful Jezemariah Hunter Dugan said. The 14-year-old said that he was a little spark that lit my life on fire. I love him so much. He always acted like the older protective brother. Robert Page said he will miss his affectionate young son who was, quote, just starting to get qualities of his own. He said he will miss his lengthy talks with his wife and her great listening ability. Most of all, Page said he will miss her nagging. She kept me on point. The lady beside your side is supposed to be your better half and is supposed to be the one who can see what you can't see inside yourself, Paige said. That's all she wanted. All she wanted was what was best for me, what was best for the kids. Moving on, priest on leave after allegations of past sexual misconduct. This is by Philip Jones of the Des Moines Register. 
A Catholic priest has been placed on administrative leave by the Diocese of Des Moines after allegations of sexual misconduct in the 1990s surfaced. The Reverend Robert Bud Grant was placed on leave March 4th, the diocese said Wednesday morning. A complaint about sexual misconduct was made to the Iowa Attorney General's office last fall, the diocese said. The complaint involves an incident that allegedly occurred in the 1990s. That's according to the diocese. Law enforcement agencies in Scott, Polk, and Pottawatomie counties were also notified. The diocese, uh, diocesan officials rather, were first made aware of the complaint February 27th. An investigation was then uh, opened by uh, the Diocese of Des Moines, Bishop William Jensen. While on leave, Grant is restricted from all public priestly ministries. Grant, who has been on the faculty at St. Ambrose University in Davenport since 1994, was also suspended by, Des Moines by the university rather until the Diocese of Des Moines investigation is complete. In a statement, the Diocese of Davenport, which is affiliated with St. Ambrose University, said it also received the allegation but referred the matter to the Des Moines Diocese. Grant was ordained as a priest for the Diocese of Des Moines in 1984, according to the diocese. After his ordination, he served in team ministry in three Shelby County parishes, St. Mary's in Portsmouth, St. Mary's in Panama, and St. Boniface in Westphalia, according to the diocese. Grant served on the faculty of St. Albert High School in Council Bluffs from 1988 until 1994. Since 2008, Grant has also served as a sacramental minister at St. Andrew's Parish in Bluegrass. Quote, we know it can take years, sometimes decades, for victims to summon the courage to come forward, Jensen said in a news release. While we have investigated this, inve uh, this allegation, it is my ardent hope that anyone that it, ser rather, that it serves as an impetus for anyone who may have been sexually abused by a clergy member of our diocese to let us know so that we can prevent it from ever happening again. In a statement, St. Ambrose said it is aware of the matter and it is not aware of any other complaint of improper conduct regarding Grant. Another story, potential witness to women's death, woman's death found, and this again is by Philip Jones and also Tyler Davis. Des Moines police have located a man sought as a potential witness to a homicide on the city's south side. Officers responded about 12.26 in the afternoon on Wednesday to a welfare check at a home in the 200 block of Pleasant View Drive and found a dead woman inside, according to Boeing Police News Release. Investigators say they wanted to talk to Christopher W. Thompson, a 32-year-old Des Moines man. He, in, relation, in relation to the crime, he was located a few hours later. Witnesses are being interviewed, police say, and an investigation is ongoing. No charges were immediately announced. And just to update that story, uh, that uh, story about the woman's death in Des Moines, uh, it's been updated since the newspaper went to press. And there's the update, according to the Des Moines Register's website. A Des Moines man fought with his mother and killed her, leaving her body to be discovered in a home days later, Des Moines police said Wednesday, and have charged him now with first-degree murder. Christopher Thompson violently attacked Paula Thompson on or about March 13th during an argument 
According to a new police news release, he was under court supervision for previous assault at the time of his mother's death. And as we stated earlier, officers found Paula Thompson dead during a welfare check Wednesday on the south side of Des Moines. They said soon after they were searching for Christopher Thompson. He went to the Polk County Jail about 3.30 and spoke to authorities and were, was charged later in the day. Court records show that Christopher Thompson had some history of violence and was on probation when charged with his latest crimes in 2013. He pleaded guilty to two counts of assault with the display or use of a weapon, an aggravated misdemeanor, and was given a suspended prison sentence. Here's a column by Randy Peterson of the Des Moines Register. Randy, of course, is probably known to many of you as a sports columnist, but he's looking at the coronavirus situation now. Coronavirus reshaping daily life in Des Moines. Again, by Randy Peterson. I drove around my former Des Moines haunts on Tuesday as the world in which I grew up was shutting down. I wanted to see for myself what was different from even a few days ago. The government has been telling us to stay away from each other so we can flatten this frightening no uh, novel coronavirus curve. By Tuesday morning, you finally could see Des Moines changing before your very eyes. On Monday morning, I was worried too many in our city were not understanding the crisis in front of us. Tuesday was different. I don't know if it was the president suggesting against being among groups of 10 or more people, or whether it was folks still in denial about the pandemic or the shock of learning that people living in places such as San Francisco could leave home, but only for the necessities. But I know this, signs of life in and around my old east side neighborhood transformed considerably in the past 24 hours. And this was as Governor Kim Reynolds was ordering the noon closures of bars and turning restaurants into carry-out or drive-through only. On Monday, the McDonald's on East University near the Iowa State Fairgrounds was bustling with its usual morning activity. A day later, the breakfast crowd chose the drive-through lanes. Seating areas were emptier. On Monday morning, traffic from Altoona and Pleasant Hill residents heading to work in Des Moines wasn't that much different than usual. Tuesday, you could walk down the middle of East 29th along Bright Grandview Golf Course without fear of being run over. On Monday, my hometown looked to be almost business as usual. Tuesday, crickets. I drove through the popular St. Patrick's Day parade route. It was supposed to start around noon, you know. Thousands of people would normally line the streets just west of the Des Moines River. Thankfully, the 2020 parade was called off. A doctor friend of mine texted that Health leaders haven't been spewing hogwash. This situation is deadly serious, in case you needed to hear that again. Avoid large gatherings, he wrote, when I asked his thoughts on shutting down the parade for this St. Patty's Day. The fewer people exposed means fewer contracting the virus. It's common sense, and what we need to use these, uh, which is what we need to use in these coming weeks and perhaps months. On Tuesday, we listened. No one was near the parade staging area. I even drove through the parking lot at Prairie Meadows on Monday. A few hundred cars were outside the casino, which seemed usual. Now that Prairie Meadows is closed, my car was the only one in the lot. I don't know that people are betting what people are betting on now. There's 
international sports, I suppose. Maybe we'll get to each day's high temperature, or maybe when our shuttered schools will open again. Maybe they're not betting on anything. The safest place for your money for a bet may be in your pocket. Beautiful Grandview Park, where I once played on the jungle gym, and that low-to-the-ground spinning thing that made you walk cockeyed after getting off, still had people playing there Tuesday. Health officials told us it's okay to get outside, so as long as we keep, us our, uh, keep our social distance from each other in mind. Soak in as much fresh air as possible. People heeded that advice, too. We didn't have disc golf back in the 1960s when my pals and I walked up to the park, but on Tuesday, the park's course was busy. I come here a lot of times, Luke Newstrom, 24, of Des Moines, told me. It's good to be out in the fresh air. It's relaxing. The golf course where we were so mischievous back when I was a kid, we used to retrieve balls hit over the fence and then sell them back to the golfer for 50 cents, sorry mom, actually had some business. David Basinger, playing solo, had just hit a couple of shots near the par 3 11th hole. He is 68 and he too is a 1969 East High School graduate. I'm telling people that I'm immune to coronavirus, he told me. He was kidding, of course. It's scary, he conceded. If I got it, I would be afraid. I called a guy I consider to be Mr. Des Moines, Marty Scarpino. He's the owner of the popular Jesse Embers restaurant on Ingersoll Avenue. He has the pulse of the city better than almost anyone I know. He serves movers and shakers and us average folks. He greets everyone, usually with a handshake. Everyone knows his name. He pours water. He busts tables. Again, he's Mr. Des Moines. Chuck Long, former Iowa football star, was in Monday night, Marty told me, shortly after closing his restaurant Tuesday afternoon. I drove past his place before Tuesday's last call was given to the lunch crowd. Reynolds issued a far-reaching order earlier Tuesday that included restaurants could only serve carry-out and drive-through until the end of the month. A lot of people are being cautious, Scarpino said. People are being are getting nervous. Some are not. So what's he going to do until he reopens? Well, I might make pizzas at my house, Marty said. And by the way, his restaurant menu does not include pizza. I might make pizzas and invite people to come over. Ten at a time, Marty. I also drove around Des Moines' south side. People are truly very conscious about where they have to go, resident and Democratic State Senator Tony Bizzagdano told me. Everyone wants to think that this is a two-week thing, but I wouldn't be surprised if some of this extends into the summer. We haven't even started to see cancellations like Little League and closing the city's swimming pools. That could all happen, too. With legislators working from home for a while, Bizzagdano has plenty to keep him busy. All the same, he has a newborn grandson, Anthony. They live two blocks away, Tony said. I can put on my spacesuit and walk to his house whenever I want. And on page two of the Des Moines Register, another coronavirus outbreak issue. This is a letter from Gannett's president of news and advertising. Maribel Perez-Wasworth is the president of Gannett's News Division, and Kevin Gensel is Gannett's president of advertising. It's called A Time to Rally. Our news organizations have always had a special relationship with their local business community. 
Reporters keep tabs on what's moving in and out, chronicling the changing face of Main Street and the stalwart businesses that have spawned generations, uh, spanned generations. Sales representatives work closely with local businesses to help them promote their goods and services, uh, celebrate their successes, and offer deals to new customers. We sponsor many community events, and our leaders serve on local business associations. As America has seemingly shut down overnight with the spreading coronavirus pandemic, our local business community has acutely felt the loss of its customers and its community. Restaurants that were bustling until just days ago, preparing for patio weather and taking reservations for upcoming birthdays and work events, now sit empty and unsure of when diners will next pass through their doors. Local gyms and daycare facilities, which increased their cleaning regimens in recent weeks, have made the difficult decision to close in hopes that it is only temporary. Countless downtown storefronts that relied heavily on foot traffic that isn't there anymore are looking to their bottom lines, wondering how long they can weather the storm. And so it is with this precipitous time that we are reaching out to implore our communities to offer a strong show of support for their local businesses, just as we are doing all we can to bring vital news and information to help keep residents safe through the crisis. We just feel as strongly about supporting local businesses. The safety measures that have forced us indoors and away from others to help stop the spread of COVID-19 are the right thing to do. We're confident our strength and resilience will carry us through, but we recognize our small business owners need us more than ever as they take their own precautions. To emerge from this with our communities strong and intact, we need to ensure that what makes them local, the coffee shop down the road, the local car dealership, and our neighborhood music teachers are able to stay afloat. At a time when much feels out of control, there's plenty we can do to help our local businesses survive this. In recent days, we've all seen the incredible efforts that they have taken for us, from additional cleaning to limited hours to ample hand sanitizer at the checkout. Now let's do what we can do for them. And that does it for the first hour of the Register on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. Up next, we'll give a shout-out to all our listeners who are celebrating birthdays today. I'm your reader, Kevin Cooney. Thanks for listening.